I just want to share a couple of things with you on the, on the front end here. Um, you may have noticed this last week, but I wanted to call attention to it this week. Uh, we're, we're doing something uh, a little bit new uh, at the, every month here. Um, we're going to highlight we're going to highlight a different one of our values as a church. We have a series of values that are statements that are, are things that we hold important uh, as the church uh, and, uh, and it's kind of part of our DNA. It's part of the identity of, of who we are. And so those, uh, those, different, uh, those different value statements we're going to have up on the, uh, the rolling announcement slide uh, at the beginning and the end of the services so you can kind of keep an eye out for those and you can read more about the values and, and some of the, the scriptural basis for those things online at ecwesleyan.net. But I just want to draw your attention to it um, this month the, the value that we're, we're focusing on is prayer we believe as a church we believe that God answers prayer that he listens and he cares about the concerns in our heart and he wants to hear those things from us and so as as a church we we're committed to not only praying uh, together but praying for one another as well we believe that this is part of our partnership part of the partnership that we get to have with God and so we want to just kind of put all that stuff out in front of you so that you're seeing it. You're probably going to get annoyed by it. We don't care. It's who we are. It's who we want to be. And, uh, and we want you, to, we want you to, to, uh, to be able to see those things so you know who we exist to be as a local church. The other thing I wanted to let you know about, Pastor Mark is still on vacation this week, so again, you're stuck with me. Uh, and uh, and uh, next week, he's gonna be back starting a brand new series. Uh, so make sure that you're here next week to, uh, to be at the start of that. Well, we're gonna go ahead and dive in uh, with a question. Have you ever made a bad gamble this was the question that we began with last week in a two-part mini-series entitled Hot Pursuit or How the Worst Gamble Saved the Universe. Uh, in, in case you missed last week, I'm going to give you just a really, really brief recap of some of the things that are important to know as we go into the message here this morning. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm going to partially apologize on the front end of this this morning. We are going to go a little bit long. It's going to feel like drinking from a fire hose, but this is really, really good stuff, and I don't want you to miss this here today. So we're going to jump into number one here. If you've got your notes from your program, we're going to jump into number one which is the recap. And it starts with letter A, God creates humanity for partnership in relationship. God creates humanity in partnership in re for partnership in relationship. With this partnership, there is not only a complete openness between mankind and God himself, but there is authority that was given to us to care for and expand creation. If you were here last week, I put it a little bit something like this. God is the owner. We are the manager. God creates and we maintain. There's this dynamic in this relationship where everything, everything that is, belongs to God. He is sovereign over all things. And so, so in this, he creates this structure for us to be a part of and, and, and says, you can have all of this. All of this is for you except for this one tree. He wanted to give us choice. And he wanted to make the choice look really good for what we, would, what we would have to gain. 
But you know, you know what happens when you're told you, you know, not to do something? Like what's the, what's the very first thing that you do when you're told not to do something? You do the thing, right? Like you can't have it? Okay, now I want it. Uh, you can't do that? Okay, now I want to do that. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. And, and so that brings us to, to letter B, that humanity got hustled into relinquishing our authority to new management. Humanity got hustled into relinquishing our authority to new management. We allowed sin to creep in and for Satan to usurp the authority that God gave to us. I was talking about this a little bit. Uh, actually, it was, uh, I was sitting in a, a connect group this week. Um, Bailey and I have the privilege of, of hosting one of the, the groups, and, uh, and, and I get to not be a pastor in that, which is, which is a pretty awesome thing. I love being your pastor, um, but it's one of these situations where I get just kind of get to sit in, and, and we were talking about some of the material that we're going through, and I shared about, uh, about this, this thing that I was studying for this week, and one of our, uh, one of our group members was telling me that he, uh, he's reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which is a fantastic, fantastic work. And, and in, in Mere Christianity, Lewis states that, that humanity was a willing accomplice to the fall, that, that it was kind of like Satan played on that little bit of like insecurity and hustled us in that insecurity of like, okay, God is holding out on you, so let's do the thing. And in that, in that, we relinquished our position. We relinquished our place in the order of things. And while we still hold a unique place in all of creation, the terms and conditions of the agreement changed with new management under control. And while the ownership of all things still belongs to God, sin took root and ruined everything. I said last week that, that Satan has no interest in a partnership with God. His only interest is to lie, kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what started happening within this tactic. It, sin and it came into the world and it divided us not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with each other as well. And so we were separated from God. His favored creation, you and I, separated from God. We talked about this from the standpoint of authority last week, that authority is kind of like an umbrella. Under it, under an, an, an umbrella of authority, you receive all of the benefits of its protection and its security and its provision. And when you step outside of God's authority, we step into the elements of sin's authority then in all of its consequence. And this, and this is where the world finds itself for thousands and thousands of years wrestling under the control of sin, subject to its destruction and decay. Paul writes about this in Romans 8, saying that the whole world was subjected to frustration and groans in pain, awaiting redemption, kind of like a kid on a long road trip. How many, how many of you have taken a road trip recently where somebody in the car inevitably says, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I do that and I'm usually in the driver's seat. But it's kind of the subject to frustration. Like, when are we going to get there? When is it going to be there? When is going to be the time? But God didn't abandon us 
Even when things got worse, even when our sin and arrogance were at their ugliest display, God set in motion a plan to pursue you and a plan to pursue me and the whole of humanity, a plan to beat the house at its own game, and he did so within the order of his creation. This morning, we're going to look at how God did this and what it means for you and for me today. And it all begins with a man named Abram. And we're going to jump a little bit around his story, but first, we have to understand the framework of what God is working out. And it starts with number two, the ancient way, the covenant. About 10 years ago, I encountered a, a book by a Wesleyan pastor named Jim Garlow entitled The Covenant, which outlines the process in which God established uh, a relationship uh, with, with Israel and ultimately drew us into a relationship with himself. And, and, and I know that this isn't going to come as a surprising confession here this morning. I can be a little bit dramatic. I, I know that for some of you who, do, who know me, you are not surprised. But I have like no drama in, in this when I, when I say this. Understanding what I'm about to share with you today has been revolutionary in my understanding of my relationship with God. It changed me. And I hope that it changes you today too. The word covenant that comes from a Hebrew word that means to cut. And in ancient Near East practices, these, there were these binding partnerships that were established between people and a clear outline of the terms and conditions uh, of, those, of those deals were, were, uh, were known to, to everyone. They were serious business. And, and, it, and by entering into a covenant relationship, each of the partners was communicating their steadfast commitment to the other. And within, this, within striking these covenants, there was a ceremony, a process by which they, they were a part of. And there were several steps that took place in accordance to the terms to make sure that it was not only crystal clear to both of the members entering into this process, it was, it was known to everybody around what was going on in this relationship. And this was a typically a 10-step process. And it begins with letter A, the exchange of robes. Begins with letter A, the exchange of robes. This represented an exchange of, identis, of identities. Each party would, would take off their, their outer garment and exchange them for, for another's. Now, since, uh, since wardrobe, uh, you know, in the, in the back, back in the day wasn't quite as broad as it is today, uh, you know, it was, if, I were, if I were wearing, if I were to, to take off my sweater, let's say I were to take off my sweater and give it to Tim, and Tim were to take off his shirt and he would give it to me, and Tim would wear my sweater and I would wear Tim's shirt, let's say that I was coming along over the hill and somebody saw me in Tim's shirt. And they would say, oh, here comes Tim. We're so glad to see Tim. And then it's just me, and they're just disappointed by that. But, there's, but, but within the exchange of robes, there's this confusion of identities that, that, uh, that when, you see, when you see somebody coming, you're seeing not only them, but you're seeing their covenant partner as well. They, this was establishing an indistinguishability between the two parties. The next was letter B, the exchange of belts. 
as, as, a covenant par as covenant partners would exchange their belts, it signified uh, an exchange of strengths and assets. Typically, a, a belt was where you would carry a coin purse or, or any type of military gear. And so this was, this was less of a thin leather strap to hold your pants up. It was more of like Batman's utility belt where you have like shark repellent bat spray like on there and you're giving it to your, to your, your partner. And with this exchange, the, uh, the covenant partners were communicating to each other, whatever strength I have, it is yours to command. And whatever strength you have, I will command that also. We are as one in our strengths. And in the same vein, there was also, letter C, the exchange of weapons. This step was both a solidification of the second step and a warning. The exchange of weapons was an exchange of enemies. It communicated, now that I have your weapon, your enemy is now my enemy. And now that you have my weapon, my enemy is now your enemy. So if I am being attacked, you're going to come to my aid because we're covenant partners. Or if, if you are attacking your enemy, I'm going to come to your aid and I'm going to help you out because we've exchanged weapons. We've exchanged, and this is, this is a, a further solidification of, of the exchange of belts, of a, sh a sharing of strength, but it was also a declaration of protection as well. And this is followed by, by uh, letter D, a sacrifice. Remember, the, the root of, of covenant means to cut. These, these ancient covenants were, were blood covenants. In, in the ancient Near East, blood was, was seen as, as the, the fuel of life. And so there was nothing more precious. There was nothing more precious than blood. And so in these contracts, it was a big deal that these, there was no written out agreement that you sign in ink. No, these were usually signed with a heifer which it was immediately followed by the walk of death, letter E. At this point in the ceremony, both of the partners would be facing each other across the field from one another. And the animals that were brought for sacrifice were split in two. And those, por those portions were put at opposite sides of the field as well. And, and there was a communication within this that, that as this animal is being split in two, that I would rather be sundered like this animal. I would rather be, be torn in two than to break the terms of this promise. And during the walk of death, one party facing the other would walk towards them and then they would turn left. And then the other party would walk towards the other one and turn right. So they would make this like figure eight within, within these, these parts that were in the field. In all of its mess, in all of its intermingling, it was like they were saying that there's no point in which I begin and you end. We are as one as we are walking through this. We are in a, in a unified partnership together. The next step was a mark on the body. Each partners would, would make an incision on, on their, their hand or their wrist and then they would strike them together, usually bringing those wounds together again, sealing this agreement in blood. And, uh, and this, would, this was further, this is further, uh, uh, this, this was a, kind of a setup for the, the next part, which was the pronouncement of blessings and curses. 
At this point, the, the covenant partners have walked through this, this mess. They've, they've walked, done the walk of death. They've made the mark on the body. And then they would, again, stand at, 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 uh, facing each other. And, uh, and at, at, at a certain point, they would, they would proclaim something along these lines of, as long as you keep the terms of this covenant, blessed shall you be when you co- go out and come back. Blessed shall you be when you rise up and when you lie down. Blessed shall be your wife and your children and your donkey named George. Because everyone should have a donkey named George, right? But on the opposite side of that, they would also proclaim, if you, if you should break the terms of this covenant, cursed shall you be when you go out and come back. Cursed shall you be when you rise up and when you lie down. Cursed shall be your wife. Cursed shall be your children. Cursed shall be your donkey named George. You get the, you get the picture from that. And once this, this proclamation of blessings and curses was done, then they would sit down to, letter H, a covenant meal. At this point, the covenant partners would sit down together at a table with the witnesses of the ceremony and they would share a meal together. Through this, they were, they were saying, uh, together we share in life and the process of sustaining our lives together. When you ingest this food, you are taking me into your life and I you. Well, it's not an exact. Uh, well, it's not an exact parallel. Um, the the wedding ceremony, a, a, a traditional wedding ceremony, has a lot of shared steps with a covenantal make with a covenant making process. That's why we call it the covenant of marriage. Um, but but uh, you know, usually at a reception, you have a, a bride and groom that will share a cake together, signifying a similar thing. It's symbolic of a desire to sustain and care for one another. And then there was the next step, the exchange of names, letter I, the exchange of names. Let's say that, uh, that I enter into a, a covenantal relationship with Russell Venegas. And from this point in time, my new name would be Damien Venegas Gula. And Russell's new name would be Russell Gula Venegas. So the, the purpose of this would be that, that when an introduction was made, when an introduction was made, it would be like, hi, I'm Damien Venegas Gula. And, and so then they would, the, the person that I was being introduced to or that I was introducing myself to would know, oh, Russell is Damien's covenant partner. I don't want to mess with Damien. <laughs> Raina begs to differ on that. And then there was the 10th step, which was letter J, you're going to have to find out here in just a minute. We're going to come back to it. Don't you worry. We're going to come back to it. I'm not going to leave you hanging this time. Because we need to talk about Abram now. We're going to go to, uh, to point number three, building a better way. We see Abram enter the scene in Genesis chapter 11. and God strikes up the beginnings of that relationship in Genesis 12 when God calls him out of his country. Now, I do this thing to Bailey every once in a while, especially when it's, when it's nicer out, um, where you know, with no warning, I'll come into the room and just be like, hey, we're going to miss it if we don't go. And she's like, where are we going? To it. What are we going to miss? It. Well, how am I going to know if, you know, if, how am I going to know what I'm missing if I don't go? Well, or, well, you know, you don't, you're not going to know if you don't go, so let's, let's go, you know. But... 
And she just loves it when I do that. It's usually something great at the other end of it. But can you imagine like, okay, so, so here's the scene. Like God calls Abram out of his home country. And can you imagine how that conversation goes? Abram comes home. Honey, hi. Uh, I had a conversation with God today. Which one? The one, you know, maker of heaven and earth. You know, we've got his breath in our lungs. That God. What does he want? Uh, he wants us to leave home. He wants us to go to a country we've never seen. I don't even know that I have directions. Google Maps hasn't been invented yet. So I'm going to have to trust on this one. All right, let's do it. Uh, I can't imagine having that conversation. But as God calls them out, he begins to step through this covenant-making process with Abram. And I left you some pieces of scripture here on your outline because I want you to have this and I want you to kind of take this with you to kind of chew on at your own pace because we're gonna, we're gonna look at some pieces of scripture a little bit rapid fire here. I will try to take a breath or two. I make no promises. But we're starting in Genesis chapter 12 in verse one. And, and this serves as both an exchange of belts and, exchange of, and an exchange of weapons. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Then if we jump ahead to, uh, to Genesis chapter 15 and, and we start in, in verse seven, uh, this is the Lord talking to Abram here. He says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But, and, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. It's about to get real. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. And, and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. You see where this is going? The birds, however, he did not cut. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, if we jump down to, to verse 17 and 18, it says, it says this. It, it says, when the, when, the dark, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great Euphrates. So we have the promises found in the exchange of belts and weapons. We have the sacrifice and we have the walk of death. You still with me here? Let's keep going. We're gonna fast forward to, to Genesis chapter 17 where God establishes uh, the, the, uh, the mark on the body or the, the, or the, um, the practice of circumcision. And I need, to, I need to share a quick note on this because sometimes we get lost in, in not understanding the covenantal language of scripture when we see passages uh, about this. So, because, so we don't get lost, let me give just a brief explanation here. So God uses circumcision as the mark on the body because of the nature of his promise to Abram. 
and to make, to make his descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And because in ancient culture, the male reproductive organ was rep represented the capacity for procreation. So this wasn't just a simple mark on the body type of situation. This signified whatever children, whatever children were produced by this relationship, they would carry the blessings of this covenantal relationship and partnership with God. This is why in Hebrew culture, this was seen as such a big deal. They were supposed to be carrying on this covenantal relationship through the generations. But we're not done yet because in the same passage, Abram and Sarai get new names. And this one kind of blows me away. I love this. So remember how I said that in the exchange of names that like it was, it was to, to signify who we're in partnership here with. So, so my identity, it now carries with it the identity of, of my covenant partner. So God, so there's this name that's used for God in the Old Testament that's the name Yahweh. Sometimes it's, it's read as Jehovah. It means oath-keeping or oath-making God. God takes, the, and, and God takes the part of his name, the, the, the H, or, or in the, the Hebrew, it's, it's the ha, it's pronounced ha, like the sound of breath, which if we look at that same sound is used in describing the Holy Spirit in the Greek, the pneumos, the wind, the breath of God. If you remember from last week, we were talking about creation and how, how God put his breath into humanity, that he made us in his image, that he breathed the breath of life into you and I. And in this moment, in this moment, God says to Abram, Abram, you are no longer Abram. You are Abram with you're Abram with the breath of God with you. You are Abraham. You're Abraham. And from this point forward, I will be known as the God of Abraham. And so when people meet you, they know you are in partnership with me, the oath-keeping God. And it gets better. In Genesis 18, the Lord appears to Abraham in the form of three strangers and they sit down to a meal with him. They share a covenant meal. And if we fast forward even further to Genesis 22, we're gonna, we get into that secret 10th step, which is, I'm not telling you yet, because we have to jump ahead to, to where this plan gets turned up to 11, ultimately beating the house at their own game. You see, this is the point in which when we fast forward, we see Jesus enters the scene being 100% God and 100% man. The owner of it all enters into the highest stakes game for you and for me. And he comes in with a hot hand. Let's look at number four, the royal flush, an even better way. Here is where the long game pays off because God steps into his own creation and he does so in the, the wildest and, and most un, unthought of way. He uses the covenantal system and he starts by exchanging robes. He, letter A, puts on humanity. You see, in order to beat Satan at his own game, we needed one of us to represent us. We, we needed somebody who was, who was human to stand in the gap for us. And Jesus steps 
onto the scene into the very family in which he developed a covenant relationship with thousands of years before. And Paul writes about this in in Philippians 2 verses 6 through 8 where he says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. A king, the God of everything that is, humbled himself and put on humanity. I want to finish this because this, this, verse is, this, this chapter is so good, but we've got to keep rolling. He also exchanges belts when he let her be, gives strength through grace. He tells Paul in in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul is wrestling with with this malady, this thorn in the flesh, he calls it. And he cries out to God to take it away in his weakness. And and, and he tells tells Paul that his strength is manifest or is made perfect in Paul's weaknesses, not as a placation, but as an assurance. He says, he's saying, Paul, do you forget who your covenant partner is? Why are you relying on your own strength? We've exchanged belts. We've exchanged weapons. Get it, son. You know who I am. And this wasn't a, I will be there in 15 minutes. It wasn't a, I'm gonna be there eventually. It was remember, we exchanged weapons. Your enemy is my enemy and my enemy is yours. And this is where we get into letter C. God's enemy, Satan. Our enemy, death. We have a 0% success rate against death on our own. And Jesus declares war on death and on Satan when he establishes his church as God enters into an agreement which would reclaim authority over sin and put a big fat crosshair on Satan and the dominion of death. In Matthew chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi, he declares on this rock, the declaration of his sonship, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. But within this declaration, he reveals to his disciples that there was a sacrifice that was needed. The sacrifice of a perfect lamb, letter D. The prophet Isaiah foreshadows this in Isaiah 53. He writes about the Messiah being led like a sheep to slaughter. But he also said that he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be wounded for our iniquities and that by his stripes that we would be healed. This sounds an awful lot like Jesus was taking on the curses of a broken covenant. Remember, these are blood covenants. It's because he was. You know that passage in in Genesis that we kind of glossed over with Abram falling asleep during this process? And instead of Abram performing the walk of death, it's performed by a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot. God knew that humanity could not bear the weight of or uphold a covenant with a holy God. And so he walked through both parts of it himself so that Abram wouldn't have to. He walked through it for Abram and for you 
and for me. But this is where we still have a little bit of a walk of death ourselves. That we, if we continue to follow Jesus' words in Matthew 16, we letter E, uh, we gain through loss. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I can't do this on my own. I know me. I'm not capable of this. This requires letter F, the circumcision of the heart. You see, in our, 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 we describe in our culture that the heart is kind of the center of our mo emotions, the center of our, our being, the core of, of who we are. All of our desires, all of our will are poured out from our heart. But this is where in, in our partnership that our mark on the body, our mark on the body is carried in our chest. Our mark in the body is on the heart because my will, uh, my will is bent towards me. I'm selfish and I'm arrogant. I want my own way. But see, with, when, when I allow Jesus to mark my heart, when I allow him to, to, to mark my heart, my will isn't just bent towards me anymore. I want what God wants. I, I, and, 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 and there's a process of sanctification, we call that in the Wesleyan Church, where God is correcting this bend towards sin when, and bending us, uh, our will a little bit more towards center, a little bit more towards him to be able to love him and, 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 uh, and follow him more perfectly. And as we do this step, as we, as we walk through this, Christ seals the deal with the blessings and curses because letter, D, letter G, sorry, blessings are poured out and curses are left on the cross. See, on the cross as Jesus is being crucified, the wrath of God's holiness against sin was poured out onto Jesus and his final cry of it is finished signified that the blood debt was, of a broken covenant was paid in full. The authority and the rights of sin's rulership were broken. And this is why we celebrate the covenant meal in communion. When we partake in this, we remember Letter H, that Jesus is the bread of life. And we also get a new name out of the deal. It's letter I, the exchange of names, Christ, Christian or little Christ. Remember that the exchange of names means that my identity as a Christian describes who I am. I carry the responsibility of representing my covenant partner well. But it also signifies that I am in a partnership with Jesus with all of its blessings and all of its privileges and all of its responsibilities. And this is why the author of Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest, our advocate. Because not only do I receive the, a new name as a, as a Christian, but Jesus, he receives a new name too. And our names, they're written in his scars. Our names are written in the scars and the stripes that he carries. Jesus carries your name on him at all times. He is marked by you. He carries you with him. He is known as your friend. And he did this through the last step. This is the 10th step of the covenant-making process. Letter J the exchange of the oldest male child. In this ancient practice, two covenant partners would send their oldest son to be raised and cared for by their covenant partner. 
This was a continuation of the, the trend of assuring that there was unity between the two families. Why would I break covenant with a family that's taking care of my child? Why would I do that? And we catch a glimpse of this in Genesis 22 when God puts Abraham's trust in him to the test by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham trusted that God, the oath-keeping God, his friend, would stay true to his word, that he would keep his promise. And while God provided an alternative sacrifice, he confirmed that it would be his own son that he would exchange and sacrifice for you and for me. And this is where we finally get to see what I see as number five, the worst gamble, Jesus for me. Now, I, I don't say this from the standpoint of self-loathing. I, I, I like me. Um, but I say this from the standpoint of authority and position. There is nothing that I have, there's no position that I could hold that holds a candle to what God owns and, and the authority that he has. I'm not sure what I have to give. This is a terrible deal. This is a terrible deal for him. Yet it's also a, re a reflection of another ancient practice known as a suzerain covenant, a contract between a king and a peasant. And for me, and maybe you've had conversations with God like this, where, where you, maybe in prayer you, you're going to him and you're, you say something like, God, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to give and everything to gain what do you get out of the deal? And God, as a loving father, looks at me and says, all I want is you. All I want is you, your love and your loyalty. That's it. It's all I want. And the payoff? <laughs> Number six, the big payoff is this. Jesus makes a declaration after he's endured the cross and defeated the grave in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. You see, authority is now in the hands of Jesus, our covenant partner with whom we share everything. He has reestablished authority and dominion over the earth and with it a twist on the original initiative. If you remember from last week, the original initiative that God gave us was, was fill the earth, multiply. You know, you take care of this, this thing. You, uh, you rule over this thing. And, and so the, 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 the twist on this, the initiative, is, is that, that now the reclamation of creation, it begins with reclamation of the human heart. Reclamation of creation, the correction, the redemption of all things begins with the human heart. Jesus has done the work, so all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people. Jesus pursued us across space and time to be in relationship with you, to correct, to correct the rift that we create in between us and him 
through sin. He wants you, your love, your loyalty. It may look a lot like dying to take a deal like that, but it is filled with exceptional, exceptional life and freedom. Now, I know this morning that we've gone a little bit longer here today, not by much, so don't worry. There's no football game on this afternoon, so you're not going to miss it. But I think I'd be remiss this morning if, if we didn't take a minute to ask a couple of questions. And, and here's what I want you to do, just out of respect for, uh, for your neighbor here. I'm just going to ask everybody around the room just to close their eyes and, and bow their heads out of respect for God. And, and, and I want to ask some questions. And, and, maybe, and maybe for you, there are some things in here there are some things in here that you connect with. The first question is this. Are you living in the fullest expression of this covenantal relationship with God? Are there areas in your life where you struggle to accept His love and grace? when you consider where you have been, maybe you've experienced the, the consequences of, of sin. Maybe not just your own, but the consequences of other people's sin. You've borne the curses of those things. This morning, I wanna let you know that there is exceptional freedom that is available in this partnership with Jesus that when he said it is finished, it was finished for you too. And he will walk through those valleys with you. And he will give you the grace of his strength. Because Jesus, because Jesus endured the punishment. He endured the way he paid the debt that I could never repay. And gave us the ultimate gift of a second chance, a second shot at our relationship with an almighty and all loving God. And maybe this morning you've never experienced that. Or maybe you've experienced it and you've forgotten. There is no better time like the present to begin in that relationship. And it starts with saying, God, I have nothing, I have nothing to offer you. I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Why would you pursue me? I need you. And in Jesus' response to you is, I just want you, your love and your loyalty and everything that pours out of that. And maybe for you today, this is a moment of, of placing a stake in the ground, of reclaiming ground that death has stolen from you. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for the exceptional freedom that is available in this partnership with you. Thank you that you did not abandon your creation, but you pursued us. And so God, I pray that you would bring, that you would bring freedom here today and that we, would, that we would go from this place a different way than we came in, that in a different posture, and a different understanding of our relationship with you. 
God, we want to give you our love and our loyalty. It's all we have to give. And we thank you so much that you are so honored by that. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.